Hey, it's Lena. You're listening to Contrast, a technology podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about the pitfalls of big data without getting too specific. Just going to keep it philosophical. So basically, big data is used to analyze genetic sequences, social media interactions, health records, phone logs, government records, and any other digital traces left by people and our phones and stuff like that. Now, I'm going to give some key differences between big data analysis and traditional research methods. And also point out the pitfalls to be aware of. For most of us who come across these kinds of data sets that are supposed to inform us about really consequential things. I'm going to start off by pointing out how fascinating it is that women are actually willing to exert themselves to learn about astrology for like self-discovery and understanding relationships. But isn't it funny that we demand an explanation to things. We need to know why. But apparently... That explanation doesn't even need to be right. We just need to be pointed in, in the direction of some pattern and our biases will fill in the blanks. Well, if you look at googletrends.com, you can just type in any search term and it tells you how much that term was used on Google. I saw something funny once. It was like, look, at, there was a spike here about people searching what's the penalty for fraud. So you might think, hey, there's probably a bunch of fraud over there. But that's the thing. You really don't know. Uh, you see that there was an increase in those search terms, but you don't know why. I mean, what if the questions on the bar exam just changed to add a chapter on fraud penalties? What if Netflix just aired a series about scam artists making bank and everyone just went on Google to look up how to do it? Like, you just don't know. You don't have enough information. And this is the problem with big data. Just because you have all these patterns doesn't mean you can definitively explain anything, really. You can just point them out. It's also ironic that you would think the goal of pointing out those patterns is to actually solve a problem, right? But there's a step missing. You can't solve the problem without figuring out what the root cause is. And you know what else? If you're using a data set to find all of those patterns, every single possible pattern that exists, that fatal error is when you're too focused on the data that's available. You could be missing things that are not included in the data because a lot of times we use the data after the fact. So it's it's called a retrospective analysis. And you're just trying to use the data that you have right now. But you have to consider the possibility that the real cause and effect relationship is out of scope. Or it was really a combination of different factors that aren't captured in data at all. All right, have you ever heard of the diabetes belt? It refers to an area in the Deep South where the highest percentage of Americans are diabetic. So what are you going to tell them? You know, maybe they should move out of the South and they won't be diabetic anymore. I mean, of course, that's ridiculous. No, my favorite. I hear this one every day. As it turns out, a higher percentage of people with old age suffer from, you know, fill in the blank, wrinkles, memory loss, diseases. Well, you don't say. I'll just not be 75 then. I won't have any problems. Someone tell them to stop being old. Since almost everyone who dies with cancer is older, you might say that the cure is to reverse aging then. Because you're assuming that the reason that they're dying of cancer is because they're old. So the only solution must have to do with age. If it's caused by, you know, genetics, your family history, then, I mean, technically then the only way to cure it would be by literally changing your DNA. Um, actually, that, that's exactly the direction that the industry is going. But in that case, uh, we'll have to sit back and wait. So every day I wonder, why do we talk about age and genetics so much as factors when there's absolutely nothing we can do to change those things? 
is not really a solutions-oriented line of thinking. What about all the 75-year-olds who don't have memory loss? What about the 25-year-olds who do? The truth is the root cause could be a hundred things and each of them real. But you know, it takes more work to get to that root and, and it takes a little honesty. So people love an explanation, regardless of whether it's accurate. The other thing people love is predictability, but they hate commitment. They like to be flexible. Well, we know those two things can't really exist at the same time. I have to sign a lease. I have to sign contracts. It's the only way we can create a level of certainty in this really unpredictable, emotional world. I mean, I can't even schedule a date with a friend. Half the time, one of us bails. We have competing priorities we have to balance all the time. Don't get me wrong. Big Data Analytics is an awesome, awesome tool for predictive modeling based on historical data. Because in the, in the real world, it's not theoretical. In a way, it seems ideal because every possible variable has been factored into the model. We just don't know what all the variables are. In sales, analytics has proved effective for optimization, of course, or else they wouldn't use it. But when you expand into deeper questions and scientific inquiry, you start to run into big data's limitations. And it's not, by any means, an exact science. Our data analytics thought process in general is that all the explanatory stuff doesn't matter. Getting to know the customer personally is not feasible or profitable. We're trying to capitalize on this data. Because to us, bigger is better. The big profit center mantra is grow, grow, grow. When we grow, people, employees, and customers become nothing but a number. And we all know, people aren't just numbers. What do you think data fishing is? Going for a swim in a data lake? Data phishing is when you go into a data problem without a predefined hypothesis as you normally would. But this is actually pretty common, and it's even the main goal of unsupervised machine learning. You literally unleash the machine with no preconceived notions about anything and just see what it finds. But it begs the question, do those findings really mean anything if they don't follow the traditional method of scientific inquiry? I'm going to contradict myself and say that this type of analysis can be important in the sense that the machine learning has less bias or different kinds of bias than the analysts, and that even though we all know correlation is not causation, say it again, correlation is not causation, we know. Correlation is important. Finding correlations with the variable that you're trying to test is a critical step to discovery. It's the very first step when you're actively looking for research questions. Another pitfall with big data is that even though you're presumably dealing with the entire population, we're also missing another part of the gold standard, which is a control, a placebo group. It's known that observational studies can't prove causation. With the observational method, you're just watching and you're not interfering. This is kind of how big data works. You're just recording observations of the natural world as it goes on. And if you don't have a placebo group, how can you know that a correlation only exists in one group and not in the other? On top of that, even though unsupervised machine learning removes some bias, just the fact that the data was recorded without being blinded means that there's already baked in bias. I saw a video once where a guy in the street offered to trade someone's old iPhone with a newer iPhone. He's like, sure. He pretended to transfer everything through iCloud to the new phone, took the guy's phone, cleaned it, took the case off, and then presented it as a new phone. He asked the guy what he thinks, and he's like, yeah, 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 this, this is cool, it seems faster, the camera's nicer, you know, I like it. But he's holding his own phone, and he doesn't know it. Psych! 
Just by telling someone what they're testing, they can change their response. It works both ways, too. If the seller knows which one it is, he could skew the results unconsciously by asking leading questions or tailoring the response depending on which phone's being tested. Like I said, the benefits of using big data is that every variable in the real world has been applied. The problem is the design. The quality of big data sets is notoriously poor. A figure I hear all the time is one that data scientists spend up to 70% of their time cleaning data. There's missing data, different categories, data definitions, different methods of collection, when combining many different sources. So the assumptions that you have to make to derive any kinds of conclusions um, from the data start to pile up very quickly. More often than anyone will admit, it gets to a point where the real reason behind any of the perceived significance in the data is actually just because of all the assumptions and the footnotes, the metadata, or what I like to call the fine print. You also have to look at the qualitative aspect always when you're looking at data. You, you have to ask the people that are putting in the data. You have to ask the domain expert. You have to do qualitative research. You can crunch the numbers you have all day long, or you could just ask them because a lot of times when you show people the data, they can explain most of what's really going on. You don't have to sit there and scratch your head. I'm saying this because I notice people really do this. They hyperfixate on shallow numbers, but they don't listen to the whole story that's being told. If one doesn't match the other, something's wrong, right? Either the people are lying or the numbers are lying. So we've established that big data could actually be misrepresenting reality because the way in which we collect information in the real world is very different than we would see in a control environment. We have to be able to confirm the patterns that you find using multiple methods of analysis. I also want to say that the controlled environment might be way too optimistic because there's so many variables that aren't factored in. But the vice versa could also be true. Real-world data could be just drawing correlations that aren't actually causative. And the causative should absolutely be proven in a controlled environment. Of course, then, there's bias and subjectivity in both quantitative and qualitative analysis, but I want to emphasize it's important to use both. Use all the tools available to find the real narrative. Present the data to the people to get their side, all of their sides, if there are many sides. Uh, of course, in any system, whether it's data analysis or even the most stringent of controlled studies, you can always find a way to, to skew the data. It's because if you want a particular narrative about a product or any type of narrative, you, all you have to do is ask the question. If you don't want an answer, you don't ask the question. The answer is don't know, don't care. Don't collect the data. It stays underground, off the record, the black market of information. Well, that's always going to be a cause for skepticism with any kind of statistics you're looking at. But when it's a really important issue, the solution to that problem is standardization. Your expectations of the data quality and definitions have to be clear. The communication of the data has to be totally upfront, transparent. Anything in between is just ignorance. Data is complicated because the world is complicated. People are complicated. So you need to have a certain expectation going into reviewing any type of data. What are the constraints? What are we asking? What are we not asking? What is this proven? What does it not prove? So why is this important to understand? We should never draw definite conclusions from big data or empirical data alone and certainly not put it above traditional research methods, but it is an inherently incomplete process of discovery. It tells you what, not why. It gives you possibilities, not certainties, and it's missing structure and consistency. 
And no matter what anyone says, there is no such thing as standardization with the sheer amount of nuance in big data analysis. There's only chaos and compromise. And for the last time, please read the fine print. Okay, now here's my question for you. What do you do when empirical data or big data directly contradicts traditional research findings? Which one is right? Why? If you can answer this question, please submit to my page. My Twitter is Lena Said So, L-E-I-N-A, and my Instagram is Lena Cast. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you later.